Welcome to the Brazil Church of the Nazarene Weekly Sermon. This is the message from Sunday, February 24, 2019, titled, Christ-like Example Number 1. Today, Pastor Marlon Betts is reading from Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 24. In his letters to the Philippians, Paul shares a powerful example of Christ-like ministry. Let's listen to Pastor to find out who Paul was writing about and which characteristics made him Christ-like. We are excited to be able to open God's Word and share with you from His Word. I just wanted to stop for a moment, give you an FYI note that uh, we're going to be spending one more Sunday in Philippians as we've been working our way through. And then we will be preaching a series uh, for Lent uh, called uh, For God So Loved. And um, this is a series that uh, is being put together by our publishing house and, and a bunch of our writers, etc. And I haven't even really dug into it a whole lot um, because it's not here yet. And I'm a person who works on my sermon the, the week before. So I knew a few pastors that were two or three months ahead in their sermons, but I, I just kind of make it Wednesday and Sunday and Wednesday to Sunday and Wednesday and keep, keep going. But Lent, we've been discussing this. I think this is my fifth time uh, here, and um, so it's a concept that there's a 40-day period, 47 if you count the Sundays, between Ash Wednesday and Easter Sunday. And Lent is a time when we voluntarily give up something that we love in order to show Jesus that we love him more. It's a time of fasting. That's what giving up means. And traditionally, uh, in the church, Christian church, they gave up meat. And so for 40 days, they would not eat meat. Uh, on Sundays, you didn't have to. It's a feast day. Sunday's a feast day. It's a day to celebrate. So you don't have to fast on Sundays. That's the way they looked at it. So it's 47 days, but uh, 40 days of actual fasting if you want to do that. Uh, modernizing it now for, for a lot of Christians, and, and it's give up chocolate. Um, that's, that's what a lot of women have done, and, and, or sweets, or ice cream, or soda. Um, so it's something that you love, and for today's culture, for young people especially, it's probably give up video games. That would be a tough one or Facebook for some of you, right? Um, that are into social media a lot, or it could be your soap opera that you can't live without. I don't know what it is, <laughs> but to think about this because you got a week and a half and begin to think and pray, Lord, I love you so much. I want to prepare my heart for the celebration of Good Friday, Easter, and during this period of 40 days, I want to give something up that I love in order to tell you I love you more. And so that's what Lent is about, and it's only as good as the way you participate and choose to participate, because every day when you're craving that chocolate, or that coffee, or that Mountain Dew, or that, you say... Mm, I love you more, but boy, this hurts. <laughs> and 
and get you through that. And I just want to share that with you because it's your personal decision to do whatever you're going to do. And if you fail, you start again the next day, right? Right? That's the way it works because sometimes you give in. Um, but just try to do that. Discipline yourself. Go 40 days uh, without TV. Go 40 days without your phone. Well, I just blew that. Go 40 days without something and see how it changes your life as you spend that time talking to God about your relationship with him. It's not just going without. It's going without in order to go with more of God. The two go together. And in honor of this, we have... I've, the board said to order 30, so I have 30 books, devotional books. They're everyday devotions from Ash Wednesday all the way through to Easter Sunday. And uh, by getting them in quantity, I got them for six bucks a piece. And uh, not counting shipping, but I don't care about that. But if you were to order these from our Foundry Publishing, it's 12 bucks. So, I mean, it's half price offer today and today only. <laughs> One per family, and that um, you stop by in the back, and I'll be selling these. And it's, it's up to you. This is not a requirement. It's just if you want to, during Lent, every day, take the time to read uh, a devotional, and uh, it, it will help you to think about what you're doing. So I just wanted to share all that. And uh, Lord, we just want you to... Open our eyes so we can see Jesus this morning. Reach out and touch him. And if it uh, be your pleasure, Lord, just come and minister to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2 and let's stand together. As I said, we have two more Sundays to, to finish this chapter. And uh, today and next Sunday... And then we'll be going into our Lenten series. Philippians chapter 2, you'll see it on the screen, beginning with verse 19. Paul writes, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state, your condition. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, Timothy's, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I hear how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. And then he starts into a section on Epaphroditus. So Lord Jesus, we... Thank you for the reading of the word and pray that you'll bless and encourage us by it today. and Challenge us to be servants of the Lord, to be Christ-like ministers, just like Timothy was. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Paul would usually write the personal stuff about when he would visit or who he was sending to visit and stuff like that toward the end of the letter. Greet this person, do that thing. He does a little of that, but here he's doing it in the middle. And remember, when Paul wrote this letter, he 
was in prison awaiting his trial before the emperor of Rome, and he could very well be executed at any point in time. The trial could take place, and he could be executed. Uh, So Paul could not be certain if he would ever personally make the trip to Philippi to see the Philippian Christians again. So here he mentioned two men at the close of this part, middle part of the letter, Timothy and Epaphroditus, whom he was going to send to the Philippian church. Epaphroditus would be whom he would be sending with this letter that he was writing, the Philippian letter. And so he was going to send that. And then he says, Timothy, he's going to send, once he hears the news about his trial and what the outcome's going to be, because he knew that the people there would be kind of anxious to hear about that. So he's going to send Epaphroditus with the letter, and then as soon as they got the information on the trial, he would be sending Timothy to them as well with the news of whether he was going to be killed, executed, or would continue to serve the Lord. And as I said, normally Paul would include this personal stuff at the end of this letter. Why then does Paul mention these men and their visits in the middle? Because these two men... We're going to look at one this week and one next week, were examples of what Paul has just been writing about. He's taking now the example of Christ and all these other things that he's been talking about, and he's fleshing it out by giving them an example of two men that they know very well in the Philippian church. They were men who had let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. They had experienced the humility of Christ in their own life. They were working on their own salvation, verse 10. They were not murmuring. They were not doubting, verse 14. You remember these sermons. And they, they were men of personal integrity who were sharing their Christian witness, verse 15. I mean, these were men like Paul who was pouring himself out for the cause and the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the Philippian Christians knew both of these men. And like Paul, these men were examples of the Christ-like life. So today we want to look at example number one of being Christ-like, which is Timothy. And next week we'll look at example number two, Epaphroditus. And then we're going to take a break for Lent. Sometimes it helps to see examples of Christians who live like Jesus. Let me ask you an important question today. Are your words, actions, and attitudes... In proper, a proper example of what Jesus is really like. When people look at you, do they see Jesus Christ coming through your life? Are you a Christ-like example? There's three characteristics Paul writes here about Timothy as a Christ-like example. And a good example for us for ministry. Let's look at number one. He was genuinely concerned. Genuinely concerned. Now Paul is going to send Timothy to them for two reasons. The first reason in verse 23 that Timothy was to let the Philippian Christians know if Paul was going to be executed or not. The second reason he was going to send him was for Timothy to help the church for a while, maybe even as pastor, and then report back to Paul to encourage him, according to verse 19, with the good news of how the Philippian church was doing. So those were the two reasons he was going to send him, giving news about Paul and his imprisonment, and secondly, to encourage pastor, help the church, and then come back to Paul with a good report that they were growing in their faith. 
Now, Paul wrote that he was sending Timothy because, verse 20, I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your spiritual condition. No one else like-minded who will care sincerely about your state, your, your spiritual condition. And so if you're going to send someone to help a particular ministry grow, a church that you started, one that you were really working on, and one that you really had your heart connected to, and Timothy was there when they started that church, and, and so he's, he's concerned about this church. If you're going to send someone and you can't go because you're in prison, wouldn't you want to send someone who was genuinely concerned about those people? And so that's the first point he's making here, that he is, no one else is like-minded, like Timothy, who will sincerely care for your state. He said Timothy was like-minded. The Greek word is used only here in the entire New Testament. Paul is so specific on a lot of his words when he writes, and right here in Philippians, we've mentioned him again and again. This is the only time it's used in the New Testament, this Greek word, and it, leaves, it means literally having one soul. He said, Timothy is the only one that has my soul. That's why I'm going to send him to you. He has my concern. He has my burden. He wrote that Timothy, like no other person, shared Paul's concern. For these Christians at Philippi, they were soulmates, Paul and Timothy. When it came to ministry, he had his soul. They wanted to build the church of Jesus. He wanted to build the church. And I'm asking you, do you have a soulmate? Someone you partner with? Somebody who's got your burden? Somebody who's, who's concerned like you are for your ministry? We need soulmates today. Sometimes it's a spouse. Sometimes it's a ministry partner. But somebody who just gets in the harness with us and pulls so that we can see the ministry go forward. Paul said Timothy was sincere, he would sincerely care about their situation and help them grow spiritually. Again, Paul chose specific words. He would say Timothy because Timothy had a personal, heartfelt concern for the Philippi Christians. Timothy had been with Paul when they started this church on the second missionary journey, and, and he knew these people personally. He sincerely cared about them, and he wanted to help them. Can you feel Paul's heart, his pulse, as he says these words? He is burdened with finding out how this Christian church is doing in that Roman colony called Philippi. He knew that they were being persecuted. We've talked about that. He knew they were struggling. And, Phil and Timothy was Paul's most trusted ministry partner and the best pastor he could send to them to help them to become more like Jesus, to grow in their faith in spite of the persecution they were receiving. I'm going to send Timothy to you because he has my soul. He has my burden. He has my concern. And if I can't go, I'll send him because he cares about you. When you are going through tough days, like the Philippians were, don't you want someone around? Don't you want someone to come who is genuinely concerned about you, who cares about your problems, who knows about your situation? He knows about Lydia. He knows about, he knows about the Philippian jailer. He knows about that one who they cast the demons out, who was a fortune teller. He knows these people. He was there from the beginning. He knew about Paul and Silas being in jail there in the town. 
and the earthquake. He knew the story because he was there. He was genuinely concerned about them. And that's who Paul wanted to send. And when we look today for a pastor or for a board member or a teacher or a ministry leader, don't we want someone who has a heart for God, who really cares, who will put in the time and effort, who will pray, who's going to encourage, who will minister in the name of Jesus and give it their all and genuinely concerned about the people they're ministering to? That's the people we want. That's the kind of person I want to be. And that's the kind of person God wants you to be as you minister for him. Kind of fits in well with what we're doing today. Talking about a vision quest. What is God calling us to do? To get outside the walls of this church and to minister to someone. And I tell you what, the first qualification is, you better be genuinely concerned. Amen? If you're not concerned, don't come. Because we don't want you representing the church unless you love people and are concerned about their relationship to the Lord. I better smile as I say that. When I say don't come, because Mary's saying, no, tell them to come. But really, the bottom line is, you gotta have a heart for it. Amen? You gotta have a heart for it. Lord, help us to have hearts that are concerned about the lost. Amen. God, send us more people who have a passion to serve God and a heart of genuine concern. So Timothy's second characteristic, he's focused on others more than himself. Paul wrote in verse 21, this very interesting statement, for I have no one like-minded who would sincerely care for your state, is verse 20. Then he says, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. What a serious statement. If we take it literally, if everyone, if all, seek their own. But I think it was a deliberate overstatement by Paul. You know, preachers, sometimes we get a little overstated, get a little carried away. I think he's overstating it a little bit uh, to draw a contrast between Timothy and the majority of people that were around him. There's definitely a warning here from Paul. The warning is about selfishness. Selfishness. Most people tend to be self-centered. We battle that. If you're a Christian, you battle that all the time because it's constantly bombarding you from everyone around you, including the media. Media is very self-centered and wants you to be self-focused. People around you are very self-centered. They've been taught that from the moment they're little. What do I want? What do I get? And so that is something that we understand. And we understand this about the sinner. Because most, if not all, sin is based on selfish desires. What do I want? I'm going to do that, even if it's wrong. Most sin is based on selfishness. Even if it hurts other people. I'm going to do it anyway. Even if it hurts myself, I will do it because I want to. But Paul found selfishness as a major problem even among the church people. He had just admonished the Philippian Christians on this issue earlier in this chapter in verses 3 and 4 when he says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but as lowliness of mind, let each esteem others 
better than himself. Look not, uh, each of you look not to only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Self-concern. And then he goes into the example of Jesus Christ. The, the ultimate example of selfless giving. Jesus Christ, and he says, let this mind be in you. And he talks about how Jesus humbled himself. He was equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, took on the form of a slave. And being found in appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Even the death of the cross. Dealing with selfishness and the selfless example of Jesus And when Paul was looking for someone to send to Philippi to help them grow in Christ, he chose Timothy because many of those around Paul had self-issues. They all seek their own interests, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But Timothy was one who was not focused on himself, but he was focused on Christ Jesus. And when the church is looking for leaders today, we certainly don't need those who are totally focused only on themselves. What do I get out of this? But we're looking for people, we're looking for people who say, I care about others. That I can give them my time, and I can give them my efforts, and I will work hard in the kingdom of God, and for the kingdom of God, and even go out there to the world today. One commentator I read this week wrote about, well, Charles Erdman, he wrote about Paul's statement here. He said, there are few pitifully few messengers whom the master can send forth today on missions and ministries of love at home and abroad because the words of Paul are pathetically true. They all seek their own, not the things of Christ Jesus. Pathetically true. He says the the master of all looks over us today. He can't find very many who aren't focused on themselves. I don't want that to be said about Brazil Church of the Nazarene. I don't want it to be said about me or about you. That the only thing we focus on is ourselves. We need to get outside of our four walls and see that we can focus on somebody out there as well. Amen? Boy, Mary, this is right down your alley. And what you're going to say today, and see, God knows what he's doing. You chose this date, and here's this message. It says, don't focus just on yourself. And one of the most earliest, uh, most defining moments for me as a young pastor in my first church, one that I will never forget, one that shook me to the core of who I was, is we needed a Sunday school class teacher. They had a group of children that were in a different age group than they were a little older than the little group, but yet weren't quite teenagers yet. And they were coming to church, and I had no one to teach the class, so I called in my best the ones who were well-grounded in the Word of God. And I said, please, we have this Sunday school class, we have this need. Will one of you please volunteer to fill it? A couple of them were already busy, I understand. But to a person, they all said, we've already put in our time. Not one of them, able, capable people, were willing to take that class. Already put in our time, Pastor. Do you know what that did to me? I'd never experienced anything like that before. 
I just felt like people were passionate about Jesus Christ. If an opportunity would come up to teach somebody about Jesus, they'd go for it. And I learned a a sharp truth that day. And I've never been the same since that moment. My idealism took a crumble. That day it was a shock for me to discover that most Christians have very little time to give in volunteer missionary ministries for Jesus Christ. It hurt. I left the room crying. Literally did. And didn't even dismiss the meeting. I believe that was the turning point in that church. And that church voted to go inactive a few years later. God gave us an opportunity. But they said, we've already put in our time. I believe that is why the trend today, this selfishness, this inward focus, instead of outward focus, is the trend today to have large churches, and many people go. Because you go to a large church, what do you do? You hire professionals to do the work ministry. They work 40 hours a week, so many of the Christians don't have to. They still need volunteers to help them out, understandably so. But so many can attend the church and sit back and hear the professionals sing and hear the professionals lead their Sunday school class and hear the professionals do this and the professionals do that. And that has been our tendency in America. But ladies and gentlemen, it's time for us to wake up. Because God, if he was calling professionals, he wouldn't have chose the 12 disciples that he chose. He chose the common people. Why? Because the common people reached the common people. And God wants us, each one, to take the God of our salvation and give him out, as we said a couple Sundays ago, to let the light shine and to help forth the word. That's our job. Can't keep it to ourselves. We want to hold fast to the word. No, he said hold forth the word. Give it to someone else. Back to Paul's statement. No doubt many ministries struggle for volunteers today because too many Christians are more concerned about our personal issues than about what concerns Jesus Christ. You can't blame me for this stuff. This is Paul writing this stuff. It comes down pretty strong and pretty hard. All of us struggle in finding the proper balance between ministry and the rest of our lives. We have so many habits and interests and activities which demand so much of our time that we have learned to accept time wasters as legitimate things. There are needs now when they used to be time wasters. And now they become who we are. And what we do. We cringe to think that someone would send us a text and we didn't immediately respond to it. It just drives some people batty. Oh, it went blink. Bling. 
Somebody sent me a text. We can't wait five minutes. The whole world stops, right? I'm serious. It's almost that bad. It's funny. But we'll interrupt conversations. We'll interrupt a date. We'll interrupt uh, uh, whatever it is. Wait a minute, Lord. My devotional time, but my phone just went off. God's talking to you. Give up for Lent. It could just transform your life. So we've accepted time wasters as normal stuff. And you know what? There's always another level to conquer in your video game. I've reached level 258,000. But there's 258,001. And it's calling my name because if I don't get to the next level, Jamie will get there before I do. Sam will get there before I do. Amber will be there before I do. And Lord, don't let my wife get there before me. So here we go. I'm just going to get one of those virtual goggles where you... Uh, Today, the things that we have become time wasters. And then we don't have any time for ministry. Can you imagine Paul and Timothy and Silas and Barnabas and John Mark and Epaphroditus and all these guys? Wait a minute, world. I can't start another church, God, because I got to... What are you doing, Paul? I'm preaching. To my virtual audience out there. All right. Thank God it wasn't invented back then. Or Christianity would have been stuck in Jerusalem. It had never reached Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world. Just saying. Oh, and our children get so involved in many activities and sports, and we dare not miss it. I mean, my oldest daughter was in choir. My second daughter was in band, so that meant we had to go all the choir concerts, had to go all the band concerts and, and, and the football games because they marched. And then my third daughter was sports. She was softball and then later basketball. And you know what? There's sometimes dad didn't make it. Ministry called my name, but as much as I possibly could, I was there. It's a part of the process of what we live today. And that was before all this electronic stuff took over my life and yours. You realize how hard it is today to ever set aside time to focus on ministry? I don't think the devil cares what legitimate things keep us focused on ourselves. As long as we don't focus on them. And what God is calling us to do. So who has the time for the things of Jesus Christ? Timothy, however, was not like the majority. He stood out to Paul as an example of one who was more focused on others than about himself. Right there at that moment, he was ministering to Paul in prison in Rome. He came and cared and helped. 
And when Paul needed someone to help the church at Philippi grow, Timothy was ready and willing and saying, I'll go. I'll go. I'll do it. Every person has issues to deal with. The problems of other people usually seem less important than our own problems. But one of the secrets of ministry is that by focusing on others, you begin to feel better about your own issues and your own problems. As Mary Sue just took a trip to Africa, she comes back with this perspective of how the world really is. Because when you see water shortages like she experienced, and we're just so used to, you know, electricity and other things and so we we don't realize that we are so blessed and so rich and so comfortable here in America and we're so enthused with our comforts that we don't have time for Jesus but if you begin to one of the secrets of ministry, begin to focus on someone outside of your own. You begin to see that their problems are bigger than your own problems. <laughs> and yours seem less important, and you get less focused on them and more focused on them. Now, Paul chose Timothy because he was generally concerned. He was focused on others more than himself. These are great characteristics for church workers. There's one more Paul mentioned. He was a proven hard worker. He continued to write in verse 22. But you know his proven character that as a son with his father, Paul, he served with me, Paul, in the gospel. Now the phrase proven character in the Greek meant someone who had been tested and found genuine. And when it came to the gospel, we need leaders who have been proven to be the real deal. We don't need no fakes peddling the gospel. We need someone who's got a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Proven character. Paul was looking for a hard worker. That's the third point. Who had proven hard worker. And Paul wrote that like a father and son duo, he and Timothy had worked well in ministry together. That as a son with his father, he served with me. In the gospel. And over the years, Paul, as the elder, had taught Timothy the younger his trade as a pastor, missionary, evangelist, church planner. And Timothy had proved his worth in the ministry. And whenever there was a church situation that Paul needed to address but was personally unable to go, guess who he would send? Send Timothy. I don't have time to tell you all the different illustrations Thessalonica and Corinth and Berea and uh, uh, Ephesus. And here to Philippi, he sent Timothy again and again when he could not go. And then Paul used the word served. As a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. The Greek literally served is worked as a slave. Brings us back to Philippians 1.1, where Paul introduces himself and Timothy as bondservants. The word is actually as slaves. We don't like the word slaves. It has a different connotation in America, so we change it to bondservant. And so he used the word served here, but he means slaved. Worked as a slave. And this, interestingly, is the same word that is used of Jesus Christ in chapter 2, verse 7, when he says he took on the form of a bondservant. 
took on the form of a slave and humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. So Jesus is our example of slavery. Not in the sense of America's slavery, but in the sense of giving yourself 100% to the leadership of God, the Father who tells us what to do, and we say, yes, I will do it. Because I'm a slave for Jesus. I'm a slave for the gospel. I don't have time to tell you at all the times Timothy slaved with Timothy, uh, with Paul for the sake of the gospel, but Timothy was a proven hard worker in the ministry, and the Philippian Christians would be glad to have him come in Paul's place and glad to help them grow in Christ and become better Christians and become stronger in the face of persecution and all the things that Timothy was going to do. Every church and every ministry organization is begging for hard-working men and women who will minister for Christ. Besides being hard-working, they need to have a genuine concern focused on others more than focusing on themselves. You feel that concern. You see their focus. And you see the fact that they have a good work ethic. That's what Paul said Timothy had. And that's why he was sending him. Now, everyone in this room knows that the culture of our society is not the same as the culture of the church, the Christian church. The role models that the world elevates and promotes today rarely have the characteristics that Paul said Timothy had. They just don't have those characteristics today. We elevate them because of their good looks or their physical abilities. He can shoot a basketball. She can sing. Are they hard workers? <laughs> Do they have a focus on others? Do they really have a genuine concern? These aren't the characteristics we look for in our heroes today. See, all three characteristics Paul used to Timothy were Christ-like traits. He started toward the beginning of this chapter, let this mind be in you which, in, which was in Christ. Christ is the ultimate example of a person who was hardworking, <laughs> who cared about others more than himself, and who was genuinely concerned. He loved them. The values of the culture around us too often clash with the values of Jesus Christ. And one of our essential tasks as a Christian disciple, and one of the hardest, is to pull ourselves away from the culture of the world around us and learn to look to Jesus as the example. And to men like Paul and Timothy... And we begin to focus on them is to say that's what should be our example of ministry and work. So it takes discernment. And it's one of your hardest tasks to discern. We have to learn to discern the difference 
between secular values and kingdom Christian traits, Jesus traits, and values. The more we pull away from the secular ideas, the better we will be at surrendering our lives to what Jesus values. Selfless ministry for the sake of the call of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are all called, folks. We're all called. I don't know if Mary's going to mention this today, but Jesus said, go and make disciples, teaching them, baptizing them, etc. Depending on which commission you look at, they're worded just slightly different. But we're to go into all the world. Our lives should be a reflection of Christ. Not a reflection of the world's culture, but a reflection of Christ. Who are we to reflect that light to, to those around us in our sphere of influence? And we need to be the Pauls and the Timothys of our day in our present culture, showing them Jesus, showing them Jesus. So ask yourself this telling question this morning. When your friends and family look at you, Do they see Jesus? Do they see Jesus? Or do they see a Mariah Carey wannabe? Or do they see a Justin Bieber wannabe? Or do they see some sports figure wannabe, Tom Brady? Who do you reflect? Who are you transmitting? One of the sad things is that some people know statistics about humans more than they know statistics about Jesus. When your family and friends look at you, do they see Jesus? Why don't you ask yourself, no, don't ask yourself, why don't you ask Jesus that question this morning? Lord Jesus, through your Holy Spirit, would you show us today who we most reflect to the world around us? Holy Spirit, this is your time. Speak to us with genuine concern. For the sake of the gospel and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Amen. As the praise team comes and we all stand together, it's family altar time. It's a time when we begin to examine ourselves as we have been. And come and talk to Jesus at the altar. You can talk to him about anything. We've had a lot of loss in our church lately. 
another loss this week. We lift up that family in our prayers. But we also want to come and talk to him about financial needs, about personal needs, about decisions, about anything. If it troubles you, it troubles Jesus, and we need to talk to him about it. So as the praise team sings, just come and pray. You can the front seats, the altar. Talk to the Lord. Allow him to speak. And you just say yes. And if you say yes, you're going to be doing good. Because God's got an answer. Amen? Lord, we're grateful we can talk to you about anything. The losses of life can be devastating. The decisions of life. The hurts. The disappointments. The misunderstandings. And then there, Lord, are personal issues which have to do with, am I really going to follow the cross and Jesus, or am I going to follow the culture of the world? The contrast has been drawn today, Lord. You do the contrast on the cross. The contrast was plain for the world to see. They didn't take your life, you gave it. You gave your life. Instead of speaking up in your defense, you just allowed them to go through with the mockery of a trial. So that you could give your life a ransom for many. Today, Lord, we stand in awe of your example. And we just beg and plead and ask, Lord, that you'd help us to have the mind of Christ. Whatever that means in today's culture, Lord, that we will find it and do it and be that. Lord, there's big things going on in our world, in our country, and even in our own state. Issues that are very important. Opening a casino in Terre Haute. If all we're looking for is money, then we don't look for the poverty that comes with it. We don't understand sometimes the rules that we make, the laws that we pass, the things that we do, and how it affects things around us. Our state, our country, our world, issues every day popping up where we need to ask God to intervene. Where people are killing other people in Venezuela today. And this has been going on for years in the Middle East. People fleeing, refugees, running, hiding. Death and destruction all around us. And so we know that the answer is to kind of get our eyes off of this world and focus then on Jesus. And as we saw another article of the poorest city in the state of Indiana is Brazil. And read that again this week. Lord, it reminds us that we have to start right here and begin to make a difference in those around us because we need God in Brazil, Indiana. We need to make a difference right here in our own backyard and spread out through Clay County into some of the surrounding counties and areas because, Lord, we focus on ourselves. That's what we've been taught to do. And I don't know where the answer lies totally, but can you help our church 
to do something that's not about us, but it's about the need out there of a lost person that needs Jesus. Lord, we surrender to you today. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to come with grips to the face of Jesus and say, we want to be like him. I want to grab a hold of Jesus. I want to get everything that he's got. I want to grow. I want to be more like Paul and Timothy and more like Jesus. Yes. So, Lord, now as we change and start worshiping you for the remainder of this worship service, we just want you to come and minister to our hearts and help us to realize that you are number one. We've talked to you now about our problems. Now we want to thank you because you are the answer. You, Lord, are the source. You, Lord, answer our problems and meet our needs, and you will guide us each one every step of the way. And we pray for the Barnett family today and for the Schaefer family today. And we continue to remember the Bechtel and Breeden families, and we lift up the Rogers family today. We know, Lord, that you care about these burdens and these needs. We love you, Jesus. We worship you now, Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this sermon. If you're looking for a church in the Brazil, Indiana area, the Brazil Church of the Nazarene invites you to join us as we seek him, celebrate him, and serve him. Sunday morning, we have Sunday school at 9 a.m. and worship at 10 a.m. During worship, we have We Worship for preschool-aged kids and a children's church for elementary-aged kids. For this information, news, a schedule of events, and more, please visit us online at brazilnaz.com. That's B-R-A-Z-I-L-N-A-Z dot com. Or visit us in person at 1002 East National Avenue in Brazil. Thank you and God bless.